You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. And I'm Simon. And this week, we are going to be talking about the curse of the siren's death. <laughs> Lee yeah. smiles because he knows. I don't know. You've what? rewatched it, so I don't know what you think about it. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. Mm. Simon, mm. at the end of last week's episode, I was re- reviewing a film called Monster Hunt, mm. Mm. which you then said, Ooh, I'd quite like to see that. Yeah. Have you watched it yet? I have uh, watched most of it. Admittedly, I'm going to watch it again. Admittedly, I fell asleep in the middle of it through sheer tiredness, not through. Um, because <clears throat> I was so relaxed, because I was enjoying it. That's why oh, I fell don't asleep. admit that you fell asleep in the middle of it to the listener. <laughs> they don't want a review that's that in depth. No, okay. But what what I did, I saw the beginning and and well, most of the beginning and, and the and the end, and I was utterly charmed by it. Oh. I really, really enjoyed it. It, it left me with a warm feeling. It's kind of, as you said, uh, monkey eighties monkey yeah. meets uh, Pokemon. I suppose with a with a bit of uh, I don't know, I don't know really. Maybe a bit of well, willow in there. Bit, yeah, but it's also a bit crouching up, tiger, hidden dragon as yeah. well. Of course, yeah. you can't sort of ignore that sort of influence on yeah. it. Yeah, and I, t- I don't think it's technically the greatest film I've ever seen. And the script isn't. If well, I mean that's all down to translation because it's subtitled. But but it moves along at a hell of a clip. It does, and the characters are really good. The two leads are just gorgeous, yes, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Especially the um, the girl monster hunter. She's oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, he. I think he is too. Yeah, yeah. But he's set up to oh, be. The grandmother's really good as well. Yeah, they all are. All the mm. characters in mm. it are great. There's a bit, you may have slept through it then, <laughs> where they first go to the restaurant and you meet all the people in the restaurant. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, nice. there's some great stuff in there. Mm. And some of this stuff, obviously this is more influenced by, oh, I can't remember the name of the film. The one, the Hong Kong film, I think it was, with the dinner party where all the people descend on the dinner party and it ends up going all tits up. Right. It's an Ang Lee, early Ang Lee film. Oh, okay. Uh, I may have got some of the details slightly wrong. But there are sort of bits of that. But mm. also it reminds you of English comedy as well, or Western comedy as well, mm. to a degree. I just thought it was great. You'll have to borrow it next week. I will. Um, Buy a Blu-ray <clears throat> When's it out? Do we know? Uh, 29th or the last Monday in January. Okay. And it's on manga, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um... I've got another film to review. Let's do that before we talk about The Curse of the Black Spot. <laughs> so the other film I've got to review <laughs> is My Entire High School Sinking Into the Sea. Which is a bit of an unwieldy name for it. That is actually the name of the... That's the name of the film. My Entire High School Sinking Into the Sea. <laughs> that sounds brilliant already. No, it's not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bloody hipster film. It's trying too hard. Mm. Well, it's it is celebrating its own lack of um, finesse, right? To the degree that it looks like it's been animated by children. It is essentially a 
60-second YouTube videos stretched out to an hour and a quarter. And it's one of these arrested development things where, you know, when you were at school, oh, I don't know, in our school, one day at school, when we were all about 12 or 13, somebody came in and said, hey, do you know what? If I ain't looking at you, I can't prove that you exist. Yeah. And we all went, oh my God, what if nobody exists but me? And for about 20 minutes before we worked out that it was a load of absolute bollocks, we were all looking at each other thinking, what if nobody else exists? High school existentialism. Mm. This entire film is predicated on the idea that some people went into high school, heard that and got so fixated on it that they never grew out of it. So it's one of those things. The lead characters in it are the journalists for the high school newspaper. It's one of those things that celebrates nerds over jocks. But actually, what it does, because they're stuck in an arrested development, it's celebrating people who'd rather sit and gaze at their navels over people who actually go out and do something. Mm. Mm. And, you know, you can celebrate nerds over jocks, but you have to give a reason for the nerds to be celebrated over the job. Why they have any yeah. kind of superiority over the others, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the director, writer, has named the lead character after himself, so they share a name, which is okay if you have enough self-awareness to then not make the lead character a dick who never learns from his errors, but simply repeats them and eventually is rewarded for them. It's... Oh, it's just like an hour and 15 minute crappy, amateurish, no budget YouTube wank fantasy for a nerd who's never grown out of being a nerd. And, and still thinks they're better for it. Yeah. So you liked it then? No. <laughs> <clears throat> no. But it's like it's like the hipster thing of... Everything must be organic and individual and all this stuff. But somehow they equate that with sort of liberal values when actually these are the opposite of liberal values because hipster values tend to sort of promote the idea of the individual over the society. Mm. And of course, that's the opposite of socialism. Mm. And it's all about the other thing about hipsterism is it's all about returning to the past. So my entire high school thinking into the sea doesn't use any modern animation techniques, except, of course, it uses the things it wants to use, but it sneaks them past you, making on, sure you is, can't see them. Is this animated or live action? It's animated. It's animated? Yeah. Drawn or...? No, um, it's animated in crayons. Right, in crayons. Yeah, it's like... Crayon drawings brought to life. I have to remember where that was and beep it. <laughs> it's seriously, it's not literally crayons. They've just, the animators, including him, of course, because he wrote comic strips. So this is, he says in the extras, he says, Oh, I wrote comic strips. So I thought it'd be easy to write a film. Turns out it's a bit different writing a film and it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And I'm just thinking, that says everything you need to know about this film. He just thought, oh, I can do this. And then realised as he was making it, no, maybe you can't. And the result kind of comes heavily down on, no, maybe you can't. It's got Susan Sarandon in it. 
Unbelievably. I've actually got less of a problem with that, the idea that somebody spent all that time doing all those various frames of animation. But they don't. And it it being, oh, they don't? No, they don't. Everything in it is at the level of a five-year-old's crayon drawing. Right. But then it's all, the animation techniques take a lot of the work out of it. There's all sorts of stuff going so on. So there's, there. no, there's no character or character development in this? Is it just like a whole load of philosophical ideas thrown at you? No, there's not even as many of those as you'd think. It turns into that there's a slight political point at the start. The high school principal is... The high school is built right at the end of a peninsula and it's on a fault line. So there's a risk of it falling into the sea if it becomes too heavy and doesn't shore up its foundations. So the high school principal, instead of shoring up the foundations, builds an extra floor on the top, thinking the extra floor will attract extra pupils and therefore extra money, so then he can deal with the foundations. But as soon as the extra floor is finished, it topples off and falls into the sea. (coughs) Which is okay, Okay. yeah. That's a metaphor. Yeah. But then the rest of the film... Stops every now and again for everybody to say how great nerds are and how terrible jocks are. But that's about the level of all it does. And um, other than that, it is a remake of the Poseidon Adventure in really childish cartoon with zero budget. And there are moments when there's supposed to be an action scene where it will literally start filling the screen with... um, shots of bubbles in test tubes for about two minutes while the music ramps up and then suddenly you go back to the characters who've got out of the situation. It's like, no, I didn't need to sit through two minutes of that, you know. I've seen 2001. They did it properly and there was a reason for it to be there. (laughs) It's just shocking. But then on the other hand, if you're a hipster, you probably think it's the best thing since, since sliced vinyl. Is it, is these crayon pictures, they're not on lined notebook paper, are they? Like Die of a Wimpy Kid or something like that. Is it? Is it done like it's in a notebook? Okay. It's not that but, clever. I'm just trying to find something interesting. But it's not much better. To, is the technique there because that's all they could manage or is it because it was a decision to that's do that? I mean, that was Nick. their choice because that was the kind of cartoons he'd written, he'd drawn and written. Right, so right. there's no reason for it to be like that then. No, and it just doesn't fit. And it's the kind of thing, on a page, that's okay, because on a page you've got panels rather than it being moving and being constant. Mm. And on a page you read eight pages or whatever, and then you wait for the following week. Or you read a couple of pages and you flip to another page and then you come back to it or whatever. To sit down in front of it and have just that in front of you for an hour and 15 minutes, it's just mind-numbing. So I don't know what's sad of that, or uh, hundreds of or, um, Disney animators who are the best in their craft doing beautifully formed animated movies where they've learnt their craft over the years and it's just stunning and everyone waits to see and they can't believe how good it is, and then they stick a Phil Collins soundtrack on it. <laughs> so it's like yeah. creating the most beautiful diamond <laughs> sculpture and then pissing on it but that is an artistic choice and you're right it, those people have mm. properly learned and honed their craft mm. and they've actually got you know lots of them in together to complement one another's work to come up with something beautiful 
this, on the other hand, is the perfect example of the YouTube generation. Oh, I can do that. And I've made, I've become mates with Jason Schwartzman because he liked my comic strip. I'll get him in my movie. And because he's in my movie, I can get Susan Sarandon in my movie. Mm. And it's like, yeah, okay. And but, you know, yeah. I can do that. And does not equate to, I can do that. And they'll walk away from it saying, well, this is authentic. Oh, yeah. Oh, it reeks of authenticity. <laughs> <clears throat> Absolutely reeks of it. So did you give it a good mark in Starburst magazine? I gave it three because, to be fair, there will be people who absolutely adore it. But I was tempted to go... There will be 16 to 18-year-olds watching it at parties around each other's houses. Probably, yeah. Okay. All the ones who think they're really deep. <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> oh, because it is a really deep film, man. Mm. Especially the bit where the girl with the big tits gets eaten by a shark. Right. You know, because... Drawn in crayon, though. Mm, basically. Because metaphorically speaking, if you've got big tits, it's your metaphorical fate to get eaten by a shark, right? <laughs> I don't know what you're on about. Yeah, I don't know what he's on about <laughs> either. But all these things are in there because they're deep, man. Um... And they get flagged up afterwards. Hey, man, the girl with the big tits, man, she got eaten by the shark, man. This is the level of the dialogue. So do you think this this was written for your... It wasn't written for me, For no. you, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, no. I go into everything absolutely open-minded. I went into this thinking... Because, you know, I've enjoyed films by people like Richard Linklater and Whit Stillman and people like that who make slacker movies. And I, you know, if you'd have asked me philosophically or um, politically... Would I enjoy a slacker movie? I'd say no, not a chance in hell. But then if you go into a movie like Dazed and Confused and it's a brilliant movie, it's a brilliant movie. You can't argue with it. So I went into this with a completely open mind, quite prepared to um, find it was either brilliant or crap, and it was crap. Should we talk about Doctor Who? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, sorry. (laughs) I wonder what you were going to say. (laughs) <laughs> the Curse of the Black Spot. Okay, the usual question is, how long since you last saw it, and what did you think of it the first time you did see it? Um, so. I watched it on transmission. You've not what? seen it since? No, and when I watched it, I thought it was a little bit half-baked. Uh, not as bad as other people said, but definitely flawed. So it would have been a 5 or 6 out of 10, I think. Okay. Lee. I was deeply disappointed. Because you love anything with water in it. And pirates. Oh, you'd love my entire high school sinking into the sea, then, is wouldn't there, you? Is there a pirate moment in it? No, but there's lots of water. Yeah. Water's mostly... You used to oh, use, you used a lot of blue, blue crayons. No, because none <laughs> of the colours in this... The, the characters are like... I don't know whether it's supposed to be because of the way the light is... But, uh, for instance, one of the characters will be green when seen from one angle and then orange when seen from another. And then another character will be purple from one angle and light blue from another. And the sea is variously red, orange, purple, green, whatever. Wow, man. That's deep. And often, within the same shot, it'll just entirely change colour from one side of the screen to the other. Like a tube of smart, he's melting. Before your very eyes. Mm-hmm. No, I found this um, episode deeply disappointing. Deeply. Have you watched it since it was broadcast? Um, 
Yes, I watched it on broadcast and then watched it again about a month or two later. Um, how? I can't quite remember, but I did. Um, and it didn't really change. I thought, you know, I'm not, not really getting it. Because Finn watches this with me and mm-hmm. he really enjoyed this. And he's, he's, he keeps telling me, you know, what's the problem with it? What's the matter with you? Why don't you like it? Um, oh, he thinks it's all right. He thinks it's all right, yeah. And the, I was thinking, well, maybe that's that's the thing. Maybe the kids like it and maybe... Older people may not like it quite so much. Or people thought, with a sea obsession might not like it. <laughs> yeah, but there, there was that's one element of it, um, the piratical thing, but I'll get to that in a minute. The other one is what Simon said. There are lots of strange choices in that, this episode that don't make any sense, script-wise or character-wise. So it, it did throw me a bit. Okay, we'll come back to that. I really enjoyed this the first time I saw it. I've seen it probably... This would be the fourth time I watched it again, like a week after broadcast, and then I watched it again a couple of years after that, and this is the first time I've seen it since then. I really liked it. I didn't think it was earth-shattering or anything, but as an episode of Doctor Who, sort of in the middle of a run, I just thought, yeah, that was really nice, did lots of really nice things, amused me, intrigued me, and in the end satisfied me, and also gave me a big WTF. At the end, when the pirates are, you know, when they go into the alternative dimension and, you know, you get your Star Trek moment. So it had a bit of the WTF as well, and I'm always happy with a bit of WTF. So I really enjoyed it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. That is not, spoiler warning, going to be my score at the end of tonight. Right. But we'll come to that. So now we've watched it again. God, what did we say it was? Eight years on from when it was on last time? Seven years? years, Seven years, is it? 2011, wasn't it? So we're about seven years later. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so let's dig it out bit by bit. I suppose the first thing is, this is the episode that comes immediately after the moment where we see the little girl regenerating. And everybody... Well, not everybody, because I think a lot of people had the good sense to realise that the little girl regenerating wasn't going to get tied up to the end till the end of the series mm. or at least till the end of the half series in fact i don't think anybody watching this episode who knew what was coming up could possibly have gone into this episode thinking that cliffhanger was going to get resolved and you were going to see who she was regenerating into at the start of this mm. and yet there was this big thing oh how can they go off and just have a regular adventure we discussed last time about the fact that they didn't go looking for the little girl and although we as an audience sort of know what's become of her they don't Mm. but then we did also say last time that generally speaking they don't stick around to tie up the loose ends they do just go off and do things so I want to treat this episode because this episode was moved in the running order anyway was it? Yeah, it was originally going to be in the second half of the series and they bumped it into the first half. It swapped places with Night Terrors, is it? I think it swapped places with Night Terrors. That makes sense. Although, yeah, which puts Night Terrors much closer to the other episode that ends with a little kid and the father's love. So that wasn't a very good swap at all, was it? (laughs) So they moved this into the first half of the series because Night Terrors was entirely set at night and they didn't want to go that dark that quick. And then you've got this other episode that's set entirely at night that's really not that different. 
<laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Dealing with this as an episode of Doctor Who, ignoring the continuity from before and ignoring the continuity from afterwards, does it tell a story that is at least successful in having a beginning, a middle and an end? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, you got Kavarian popping up, but apart from that... It is That's self, like, it's yeah. self-contained. Yeah. People were complaining about that, but it's like three seconds and easy to ignore. Mm. Yeah. And then there's a short scene at the end as well about the pregnancy, but again, that's ten seconds and easy to ignore. Yeah. The yeah. story here, it entirely sits apart, really, doesn't it? Mm. It does. Yeah, it's got a it's got a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, it's a, it's a a story that you might just open up as a book and read from start to end. Um. But Art. go on, go on. Then. <laughs> but there are there are many moments. I mean, this this plainly is the, the whole the whole feel of the first at least three quarters of this episode is a massive doffing of the hat to the Pirates of the Caribbean. It even opens like <clears throat> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean with the musical stabs and everything. So it is a massive doff of the cap. Um, in the same way as the Shakespeare Code was to the Da Vinci Code. Uh, it was, we, it was, well, it wasn't, was it? But in the title it was. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. what I'm saying kind here of, is yeah. you know they've not got the budget of these uh, Johnny Depp movies. But I, I thought the first ten minutes of this, there was a reasonable enough amount of swordsmanship, swordsmanship and stuff like that that you kind of got enough of the idea of the fact that this was a pirate story before you could just get on with sitting down and doing a bit of sci-fi. Probably. It, it is a pirate story. It's a pirate story from a child's point of view, though, isn't it? I mean, it's another one of those... It's just this personal gripe I've got with piratical themes. The pirates were a nasty bunch of bastards. They just were. We've seen the light of the Do you know the who this guy is? Who? The guy in this one, the guy, Avery. What, the writer, oh, the, the pirate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I mean is, the actual when you when you look at all the other pirate films that have been out in the past, none of them have been a success. No, none of them in the style of say Treasure Island or slightly campy pantomime esque films like Hook and all the others. They've all failed dismally, very very badly until the Pirates of the Caribbean came along and they combined horror elements to the children's kind of ride in fact that they developed so they took that pantomime aspect they put in great actors good script writers great effects and they had horror as as their lead kind of lead into it which works and that's what's going on here which works really well yeah but it's it and you know you get pirates in even in pirates of the caribbean that are quite nasty which is fine it gets away with it that's why it's so popular i think but there just doesn't seem to be any other element i just think with doctor who you've got that option to explore um, a ship full of people who aren't actually that nice. They're not nice people. Um, and maybe you could play with uh, an evil or alien creature whereby you think, oh, it's them being attacked by an evil know, creature, but you swap it around so you actually find out the humans are bad. Do you know what? It comes across as quite polite. It's very polite. And and the funny thing is that the, the strength of the story is also its weakness. I've just This has just occurred to me, is that one of the things which didn't really occur to me is things like when Amy has her moment and she's being a pirate and they're all scared of her and she's fighting and all that sort of... Yeah, you, you, you've just raised your eyes to the to the ceiling. It's Lee. a pantomime moment. Yeah. 
But it isn't but it's the not. reason why yeah. he, it happens is because they're scared of getting hurt because they don't want to get taken by the thing. Yeah. So that that is a strength. That's a really good idea for the story. But unfortunately, it undermines the nastiness of the pirates. Because I was mm. just going to point out, I don't think it's that the pirates are not nasty. I think you get a couple of scenes in there which show that Avery apart, because Avery is a naval officer who fell into piracy by accident, so you wouldn't expect him to be nasty. But the other, there's a couple of moments with the other ones which show that mm. if they weren't in this circumstance, they could quite easily mm. have mm. chopped Rory and the Doctor up into little pieces and taken Amy downstairs and done pretty nasty things to her when she wasn't in the kitchen. Mm. I think you get a hint of that, enough of a hint of that for a sort of children's TV series that's on on a Saturday night at 7 o'clock. But for, as Simon says, the fact that they're in this situation where... The scene in the pre-titles where this guy has this accident and, mm. oh my God, he's going to die. And before you... They're all building up to this accident he's had. He's going to die. There's no question of it. He's got minutes left, if that. And they're building up to this great thing. And then suddenly you get to a cut, a shot, <laughs> a cut to the little cut on his finger. Mm. That's a great moment of brilliant mm. comedy. But more than that, I think it does set up a really interesting idea that does undermine a different story you might have told with pirates. But that's not the story they're telling with pirates. So you've got to look at this and say, right, does this succeed on the terms that this story Mm. is approaching this? So that was, that there was, those were my initial thoughts when I first saw them. The second time watching, I did put all that prejudice behind me and thought, I've just got to enjoy this. I've got to be a kid again. Um, so I did. I watched it. And you're right, the opening sequence, you know, is actually really good. I thought it was really good. And the mystery's really good. And the setup's really good. And strange enough, when the Doctor's, you know, quipping and, and making jokes, I was a little bit annoyed that he was there, actually, because I was quite enjoying what they were doing with these people. That was quite yeah, a good story. Yeah. And then suddenly, oh, it's all a bit silly again. But that's okay, because it's Doctor Who and we're back into Doctor Who land. But, um, and, you know, with, with the Amy thing, the, the great part about that is when she jumps up and says, what kind of rubbish pirates are you? And they are all scared of her. That's a good, that's a good moment. But there is, I, yeah, I just can't bear that swinging from ropes and suddenly she can use a sword where from, but it doesn't make any sense. But I don't think she, she can. can. No, she because can't, they the just point. can't yeah. fight back but that, because they're scared of getting nicked by the end of the right. day. You're right. I think she, the waters are muddied with that. But I don't think that was clear enough. And I don't, I didn't pick up on that. Um, what I think might have been nice is the pre-title sequence could have been set further back where the pirates were being their usual nasty selves and they come up against this thing for the first time so you see them so the next time you see them you can see that there's obviously there's something wrong in them Yeah, they're not being yeah I mean I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I take the point that we kind of nasty pirate song at 7 o'clock in the evening it's just I was a little bit I know yeah, disappointed yet yeah, again they're that, more Captain you know, Pugwash and more Captain Pugwash it's all stereotyped type thing and also you know but but but, but do but, you have a problem with Captain Pugwash no but that was designed to be a children's cartoon well this is designed comedy, to be a comedy. children's <laughs> comedy live yeah, action it is but it's taking its lead from an already famous franchise instead of making it Doctor Who making it I mean the smugglers didn't steal well, anything it took its title else. from an already famous franchise but once you're out of the first five minutes it doesn't take anything else from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean apart from the music which is all the way through it. 
It's all the same. It's all the same stamps. It's designed. Stamps. It's designed. You're sensitive to that. It's designed to evoke the. It just sounded like regular. Yeah, it's designed Murray to evoke the stereotyped pantomime mm. hooky but I think pirates. And I was, thought you just had an opportunity to play the brief with. He was given. Yeah, but stop yeah. reviewing what you thought it should be in your head and start reviewing what you actually got on the screen. What I got on the screen, yeah. So basically, it was okay. It was all right up to a point, and then. It got a bit strange. I think the doctor. There were so many assumptions in this, and it almost felt like some of the actors were finding it quite difficult to deliver some of the clunky lines that were coming out. There were some clunky lines, and I think I said it, and I have said it before actually. When the doctor, the doctor makes this massive assumption, and I, I'm either I've missed it. I've seen it three times now, so I can't have done. Where the boy gets touched by the mermaid, and he disappears. And we were, you know, as an audience, we probably guessing that he isn't dead because you don't necessarily you don't always kill kids in Doctor Who. But you know, we're assuming that we haven't got any anything on the screen telling us anything otherwise, and nor has the Doctor. So why is it that he suddenly says, "Oh, don't worry, he's not dead. He's just gone somewhere else." At no point in that episode did I see evidence of him making that. He didn't say to that, that conclusion. Though. He did say that. No, he said, no. He... He said, if he's gone somewhere else, we have to find out and we have to go right. and fetch him back. We have to go and for if, 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 if. So let's, yeah. let's, let's damage there ourselves. Is let's get the monster the, to come no, and get the, us and take us away. And what a massive gamble. No, it's a gamble because it's also happened to Rory. So Amy's prepared to make that gamble because otherwise she loses Rory. Avery's prepared to take that gamble because otherwise he loses his son. And then you've just got the doctor... So the doctor has to take that gamble on everybody's behalf. Why? Well, because, because otherwise, we don't know. I don't think clear. I don't think that's clear. We I, don't I, I have the same feeling as Lee, which is that all of a sudden there's like a flip. The, the doctor suddenly goes goes from one attitude, and suddenly goes, oh, "It's okay because it could be somewhere else, and we're going to go and do that." Yeah. I don't know. I was watching out for it because I was thinking, "How is the doctor going to find out that they're going somewhere else?" Mm. And in the end, he didn't. He said, "Look," he said, "Either they're all dead." Or they're not, and she's doing something else with them. But Rory and the kid, he's already, she's already taken the kid, and she's going to take Rory. So there's nobody left on that ship who's not affected by it, who wouldn't rather find out, including the Doctor. Because if Rory, Amy's going to go after Rory, then the Doctor's want to have to go after Amy. Mm. So even the Doctor on that ship wants to find out. There's nobody on that ship who isn't prepared to risk the fact that she's killing them, to find out this is my, whether that she's not. This is my feeling. I, I wonder if it's the <clears> way it's painted, the way the story's painted. I think all those elements are there within the story and were possibly there within the within the script. I just don't think it's... There is also the fact that it, the, doctor, up to the, the doctor works out that she's coming out of reflective surfaces, mm. which means that she's coming from somewhere. Yeah. Mm. So... It's, He's, it's already presented. It's not said out loud. That's but the true. idea is presented already yeah. that if she's coming from somewhere, then she's going back to that place, in which case the people that she's taking mm. may be going back to that place too. Mm. It's not said out loud. Mm. But, when the do- but this is the point. It's said out loud at the point that the Doctor realises there's nothing else for it but to find out. So that's the point at which it is okay. said out loud. But then you've got other countdown episodes, haven't you? You've got countdown episodes like The Mummy on the Orient Express. Those people didn't come back. You've got things like Daleks killing people, The Weakest Link, where they're taking people out and 
Christopher Eccleston's doctor genuinely believes Rose is dead. So he co- he's in a cell and then he comes out and he's really cross. They escape. But, they take their... their, their but, revenge, as I've just but said... But then they realise, oh, but do you know what I mean? The character but, doesn't know. And that was a really interesting journey for us to see him discovering it with us as opposed to him turning around and going, oh, Rose is probably all right. We'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll catch her up later. But you see his journey. He work, You see him working things out. You see him thinking that she's coming out of water. Then it's, no, she's not coming out of water. She's coming out of flat surfaces. Then it's, she's coming out of reflective surfaces. Yeah, which he works out before she comes out the reflective surface. Is that right? Uh, no, he realises that it has to be a flat reflective surface when he realises she's come out of a room where there's no water and the only thing she could have come out of was a piece of buffed metal. How long since no, she watched it? No, no, it, no, no, though? she came out of the, the still barrel of water. And he said, oh, it's like a mill pond, it's flat, it's any reflective surface. And that's when they get rid of the treasure and then the, the power it puts the... Because the crown they the go back and find her coming out, or just about to come out, of the buffed piece of metal that the kids got. Yeah, but it's an assumption. We don't yeah. see it. Well, the doctor's always happens. making assumptions. Yeah, I know. And but then you either find out they're right or wrong. But in this episode, he makes a number of assumptions that are wrong. Mm-hmm. So this episode is all about the doctor making assumptions, and some of them are proved to be wrong, some of them are proved to be right. Yeah. So when you get to the moment where he says... Right, we've seen her coming out of these surfaces, mm. so she's coming from somewhere, they're acting as a portal, then she might not actually be killing these people, but wherever she's coming from, they may be there and they may still be alive. Because you have had, say, half a dozen assumptions at this point, three of which have proved to be wrong, and three of which have proved to be right, that last assumption, where everybody's lives are on the line, is the one where the audience says, well, is he going to be right or is he going to be wrong this time? And of course, you know he's going to be right because otherwise there wouldn't be an episode next week. But that's the point in the story where it all comes to the last assumption. And because he's made wrong assumptions, the other characters there don't know he's right. And that's the jeopardy. He doesn't know he's right. And that's the jeopardy because it's been a wrong assumption for every white one throughout the rest of the episode. So he's making this assumption based on logic but his logic's been flawed up until that point. So even he doesn't know whether his logic's right. And like I say, it comes down to Avery's just lost his son, so he's prepared to give up his life to find out. Amy's just about to lose Rory, so she's prepared to give up her life to find out. And the Doctor's about to lose Amy, so he's prepared to give up his life to find out. I think that's an awful lot to expect the audience to make those assumptions... On, I don't know what the word is really. I kind of feel like it almost feels like there's a scene missing. But they don't think. Yeah, it does feel like there's something just cut. There are bits missing. We'll come back to that. Okay, that'll be interesting. But I don't think the audience necessarily needs to. They just need to see the characters. Mm. And also, when they do do end up getting transported into this ship, this ghost ship, which actually I think is a great, great idea, having a ship on top of a ship in a different dimension. It's a shame they didn't have enough money to put anything but drapes around yeah, the no, outside of it. Yeah, it is a shame, but <laughs> it, it, was was a lovely, it was a lovely idea. Um, but interestingly, you know, we find out the, the mermaid is a nurse. Again, we don't find out she's a nurse. It's just the doctor telling us this because he's going, oh, she's a nurse. Oh, no, she's not a nurse. She's a doctor. Oh, no, she's this. Why is she screaming at you? Because she doesn't want you to do that. Why is she screaming at him anyway? Uh, anyway, but all these little extra things that just don't make any sense. <laughs> even br- even more brilliant. So they know, get transported. But when you say they don't make any sense... Well, we'll get to that She's looking after the injured people. Yes, which makes sense. 
which makes her a doctor. Make, could make her a nurse, couldn't it? Well, either okay. way, it makes her the thing that's there to look after the injured people. It doesn't oh, matter what word you put on it. Okay. But that's not... Then he's not... He's not jumping... So he's not she, making it? a leap of logic there. He's just pointing out what yeah, they're no. looking at in front of them. This won't affect my score because obviously it's a cosmetic thing. But is there an explanation as to why she appears as she does? No. Why she appears as a, as no, a woman in a no, nightdress? No, there isn't. But there well, is an explaination. I'm, I'm not going to mark it down for that because no, I no. do think that was a cosmetic thing that whole ties in the pirate no, thing. No, nothing was said, but but, it, but there is a reason for her singing like a siren. It's an anaesthetic, which is a beautiful idea. Mm. But again, it's just another massive, humongous coincidence that we have a mermaid, um, you know, kind of myth running through the whole of, you know, uh, history. And they and sirens and all that. And it all just happens to fit that myth beautifully. <laughs> no, but Lee, yes. when other stories do this, it's absolutely fine. Why is it when this story does this, it's not? Which, which, the Doctor says in this episode, oh, because of other instances of this thing happening, you have the myth about sirens. I know, but it's only one. I mean, it's, it's just the only one got, we've if, seen. If you've got a Silurians, or you've got Hazal, or the, the, the demons, and the devil. Yes, but prior sort of to the That's story of the demons, but you've got one flipping. No, but prior to the story of the demons, of you'd never seen the demons before either. But you're perfectly happy to accept. The Doctor's explanation for the reason the demon looks like a typical representation of the devil in the episode, the de- in the story of the demons. Yeah, he's been guiding, he's been hanging around, so humanity's seen him for quite a long time. Yeah, and the Doctor says, does he not, that this ship's been here for God knows how long, and these pirates just happen to have stumbled into it because their ship got becalmed at the oh, exact so spot where the no, siren ship was. reverse engineered. She'd right. been there for a long time. Okay, right. I okay. don't... But she can only come through becalmed waters, right? She can only come through becalmed waters, and she can only come through when there is somebody on that particular spot where her spacecraft is broken down in hyperspace. So it's not like there's going to be becalmed waters and people hanging around in that particular spot of the ocean very often. So the last time it happened would probably be in like several hundred years ago. I'm being picky, but it it just seems a bit... It just it's all... feels immensely thrown in just to make it... But this seems to be a, a common thing with Doctor. You, you have something like that. In order to fit an idea that you have as a, as a, as a piece of writing or script or whatever, you need, you've know, got to cram it in and go, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to use mermaids. Now, how can I build a story around this to, to bring in the elements of sci-fi? Which is okay, but then, it, I don't know, maybe I'm seeing it too obviously that it's just a bit, clunk, a bit of a clunky device. Actually, oh, I thought the way that was done was really clever. I would prefer actual some nice evil enemies. We haven't had any good evil enemies for ages. Since the episode before, the silence. Yeah, that is silence. Silence, great enemies. Well, that was but the previous not... week. And then the following week, you get the asteroid that's luring Time Lords to itself so it can eat them. Yeah, So this enemies. Is... Yeah. So, yes, but you're saying, why can't we have more enemies? We got them in the story before and we got them in the story after. Here's an episode that stands in isolation that doesn't have them. Yeah, you can't well, say, I mean, why can't we have more bad enemies okay. when you've got them uh, surrounding this episode? Fair enough. I was just hoping for not another tech gone wrong episode. I think at that point we'd have quite a few. 
as well. So um, all I'm saying is that I, I I took it on face value. I watched it from start to finish. <clears throat> but as I was watching it, and I think I wrote to Simon at one point, I was just thinking, oh, I, I'm trying my best with this, but there are so many elements to it that just don't seem to work for me. And it's not just the piratical thing. It's the sci-fi side as well. Um, I don't know. The whole, I mean, where, where they were plonked, once they get touched by the mermaid, who is a doctor... Why aren't they put directly into the hospital? Why are they dumped in some bloody corridor for them to find their own way to the hospital? Well, these are... It's uh, just, that's true. That's true. I mean? it's that just, was a bit odd. It's just yeah. things like that. It's like, well, it's obviously it's designed so you can talk a bit more and work out where you are. But I just found it immensely obvious. So it's, that's just me. I think These are questions of just artistic licence. Maybe, but they seem to be one after another in that particular clump of that part of the, of the episode. Um... You know, there's some nice touches. I like the touch of, of the, the father and the son and the, the son stowing away. That's quite a nice idea. After his mother's died. Yeah, really sad. And, of um, course, at this time in history, that you, that was a common thing. It was a common thing. But I don't know where the directorial uh, choices were made that made me want to blub. Whereas I think if it had been handled by somebody else, maybe in another part of the series over the last 10 years, it might have made me just go... You know, that's, that's a really sweet scene. Well, I don't it, think it was there to make kind of, Really? I didn't think it's an so. It's emotional scene. It's got emotional strings. He's what talking about, yeah, the sin oh, and I don't know. father I... and son moment. <laughs> I don't think it was there to make you blub. I think it was there to sell the idea of the fact that this guy has fallen into the trap of being a pirate when he doesn't really yeah. want to be, and he's looking for an escape route. But up until this point, he's not been looking that hard because, let's face it, He's doing it and it's fine. Mm. And the son arriving there says to him, no, you've really got to do something about this, but you've left it too late. And then the twist at the end of this story is, well, at least we can do something else now where we don't go back to our old lives, but we don't stay being pirates. Mm. And they're stuck in this spaceship so all yeah. they can really do is travel around. Yeah. I mean, I've, I found that a bit silly at the end of it because I think I was so miffed the first time I watched it. But actually, I really like that. That that ending was great this time around. I thought, I actually like this. And I want to see more stories of these pirates in space. What a great idea. You do get them for a few seconds later in yeah. the series, but that's yeah, about it's a it. a welcome return. But, and I do like the characters. They're, they're pretty good. Let's address that then. The big issue people had with the ending there is he looks at the Doctor's TARDIS and so so it's foreshadowed that he's going to be able to drive the spaceship mm-hmm. because he looks at the Doctor's TARDIS and he says, well, that's basically an astrolab, right? And that's, you know, compass, that's steering wheel, whatever. He wouldn't be able to drive the TARDIS just because he saw a few things that were similar to you would have on a no. normal ship. But the thing with... He's making a point. The thing with artistic licenses, yeah, he's, it's been foreshadowed that he would be able to drive a spaceship if he was maybe given a certain amount of training. But you're not going to stop the episode for five minutes at the end to show the Doctor teaching this guy to drive a spaceship. And there is a cut. There is. So when you see them in the spaceship at the end, there is nothing to say that it's not five months later and the Doctor hasn't spent five months teaching him to drive the spaceship. Apart from then, subsequently, there's a scene where Amy and Rory are coming into the TARDIS and it's obvious that they're coming straight out of the 
spaceship where Rory's only just being cured. But then again, there's nothing to say that they haven't been sitting in this spaceship. With the spaceship looking after Rory in his slightly better but not quite fixed jet state, etc., etc., etc. The leap of logic you have to make isn't that big, but the way the drama would have been absolutely broken by having a scene of the Doctor teaching him how to fly the spaceship means it's worth it for that beautiful image of them flying off into space. It, it doesn't quite seem to make sense. And it almost belittles, you know, it belittles the fact that people uh, who can make ship, ships move on the ocean aren't, aren't as clever, you know, they're not as clever as we think they are so they can't drive a spaceship around. It's, it, well, actually, if you think about it, it's a massively complex thing to do. Make a ship move on the ocean with all those sails. Uh, you know, it's not just pushing a little wheel around. So actually, he would have been quite an intelligent bloke. Yeah. You know, massively, actually. And would have had a lot of idea about the sea and how to drive things. So picking up a spaceship, which looked actually easier than a ship, I think it'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, if people who've, um, and we've all seen it in movies, people who've uh, played on their Ataris for... You know, six months can fly a spaceship. There's no reason that some... We've all seen it, haven't we? It's in every movie you've ever seen. I don't know. Anything we want to throw in, Simon? Some positive stuff. I've been quite negative. I've got a couple of negatives. I thought it was nice in as much as it was lighter. It was a lighter episode after the two we just had. So actually, bringing that into the season was quite probably quite a nice relief for some people. It started off with some... Lovely bits of comedy, mm. which kind of disappeared again a bit later, but nevertheless. There is that weird bit where um, one of the pirates disappears. Uh, the bit where yeah. the Doctor takes Avery off to look at the TARDIS. Yeah. There are two pirates who are right. about to run off, mm. and one of them does run off, but then he slams the door on the other one, mm. and then we never find out what happens to the other one even though he's in a room with Amy and Rory and the kid, and when the Doctor and Avery, Avery come back to that room, he's no longer in it. Oh, no, he, just... does, he does get taken. No, the other one yeah, of the does. two gets taken. Yeah, because the kiddie <clears throat> marks one of the blokes, one of the cowards, and he has to, he may as well just stay with him because he's now marked with a black spot. The other one runs off. Yes, but when but... you get back to that room and that guy has been taken, yeah. the Doctor and Avery come in, yeah. and they're still trying to protect the room from being able to... Um, be invaded by the siren. Yeah. So the inference is the siren's not been in that room, but that pirate's no longer there. Yeah, he was. She was. No, the no, 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 no. Door, Believe me, Lee, I really watched out for this this time. Really? There's no explanation given for where this pirate goes. Oh. Which leads me back to there are obviously scenes that have been cut for timing. Right. And there must have been a scene where this pirate says, she's going to get me, she's going to get me, and does what the guy in the very first scene does runs outside. Mm. So presumably, there should have been a scene of this guy leaving the room and running outside. But that's been cut for time. Mm. So we just have to assume, assume that that's what's happened to him. But yeah, no, believe me, I watched really closely <laughs> this time. And there's no explanation actually on the screen yeah. for it. But you know, in a story where people are being taken by a siren, when one of the characters suddenly isn't in it anymore, it's not that much of a leap of the imagination to assume that that's what's happened to him. Particularly as he at the black spot, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I had a bit of an issue with the music in that 
when the siren's singing, it's supposed to be diegetic music. So it's supposed to be music that's there in the environment, in the fiction. But the way it's played and mixed, it is in the score with the rest of Murray Gold's music. Mm. So it's not until the characters tell you they can hear it that you realise that it's supposed to be music that the characters this can hear. This happens in quite a few things. It happened in... Rings um, of Akaten. Rings of Akaten yeah. was one of them. That's what spoiled it for me. I actually really like that episode. The Ood singing every the time the Ood sing. Singing, that's yeah. right. And also, actually, if you watch The Hobbit, that's, it happens in that as well. Oh, does it? Yeah, there's a really nice song. Uh, Do you know what it would take? And they just need to sing it as a bunch of folkies in front of a fire. That would have been uh, brilliant. But unfortunately, it's got all this production. You think, well, it's not that. Out of it. It's not the fact that he puts music on around the singing that bothers me, but that the singing is mixed in with the music and the orchestra. Whereas if you... You know that effect that you put on somebody's voice if they're supposed to be speaking from the other end of a phone or a video line or something, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden their voice goes thin... Because, like like because like instead that. of being yeah. a voice on, suddenly they're a voice off. Filter cut off. Yeah. Filter cut off. Is that what it is? Yes. If they had just put a very slight filter cut off on the sirens singing, that would have distinguished it from the rest of the orchestra yeah. and the audience would have realised, would have been able to tell straight away mm. that it's diegetic music instead of it sounding like Murray Gold's usual <laughs> stuff. And then all of a sudden, everybody who's on the boat is suddenly going, oh, I can hear that. Mm. And you're thinking, and it, Jesus, Murray uh, actually turned up in the episode. And it is quite tuneful. In fact, if you look at, I think, some of the myths of sirens, apparently the sound was horrendous. It was still enticing. So people who, you know, they'd stuff stuff in their ears and so they couldn't hear these things singing. But it would, it would um, in, you know, bewitch them, even though it sounded horrendous presumably so it would really it's scary, a white noise brilliantly scary if they'd gone you know well, presumably like it's that. white noise that's being caused by I mean in myths are, do come from real life right so presumably yeah but presumably yeah. you've got some effect in a rock in a cliff where yeah there's yeah, yeah. so you're getting an echoed white noise so that what you've got is white noise coming yeah. out at like ten times the volume You'd expect to hear that sound. Weird sound. Yeah. So presumably, siren singing should sound like white noise or that kind of. I don't know. It's just we like things that have got attention to detail in them. I think as fans, but also just as people who really like good films and TV. If you if you put a little bit of attention to detail in things, you can forgive other stuff. So yeah, I think I I agree. I think if they'd have changed the effect on the voice, that would have that would have enhanced it a bit as well. She's great, though. She looks the part. She great does. Um, special effects aren't always brilliant. The bit where she dives is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't either like or dislike the sort of effect of the siren. It kind of, it, it serves its purpose. I perhaps would have preferred I don't know, you see, because she, when she's on this side, she's a projection. But when she's on that side, she shouldn't be a projection anymore. No. And that's what I thought didn't work, is when you get onto that side, she should have been a person, but a robot. You know yeah. what I mean? An android. Yeah, even that would have been better, yeah. That would have worked. Yeah, because you said earlier, didn't you, there's no explanation as to why she's like she is on the ship, oh. floating around like a ghost. And equally, if she's a, yeah, what... 
there's so much that just doesn't seem to hold together. And it does look like the aliens that were on the ship were kind of like big-headed, almost horse-headed shaped. Yeah. So why would they have a human-esque thing? Well, presumably know, the I mean. computer that sends her out reconfigures her for the people she's been mm. sent to fetch. Okay, fair enough. But since none of them are women, then you've got to ask, where does it get the idea of a woman from? Unless it's reading their minds, and if it's reading their minds, then it knows they don't need fixing. Yeah. So... The the logic of why she looks like she does doesn't hold together. She should have looked like a man, basically, because there were no women on that ship. No. The the flying about and stuff like that. These are these are all just artistic license. Yeah. And they're there to serve a purpose in the story. And I don't know. They they were fine. It feels like a BBC books novel. Is what it feels like to me. It's one of those stories. Yeah. Isn't it? It's just a slightly, it's just a... An easy read. Yeah, Mm. it's just an episode in the middle of a run. You know, if you put this side by side with something like The Doctor's Daughter, and this to me is way better than The Doctor's Daughter, even though The Doctor's Daughter is trying to achieve a lot more. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, you said to me on Facebook, (laughs) didn't you? Are you going to admit to that, what you said? Well, maybe at the end. Okay. When we give our scores. <laughs> okay, save that till you give your score. But I looked at this and I, was, I don't hideously dislike the Doctor's daughter. I think a couple of bits in there that are just nasty. Yeah. And I don't think the whole thing really achieves what it wants to. Well, no. Let's, let's put it this way. The whole thing hideously underachieves on what it wants <laughs> to achieve. But I don't think the Doctor's daughter's terrible. But I think this... For what it sets out to achieve, I think what it sets out to achieve, it does more nicely. I think this is probably just about equable with something like Planet of the Dead. Yeah. Which was a special. Yeah. Yeah. So I think having this sit in the middle of a series, Mm. it's just perfectly fine. It's Doctor Who doesn't... I like it when Doctor Who does things, but you can't have it doing things every week. Otherwise, it it would be like hitting your side of your head with a brick every week. It's got a. It is for some people. Well, but it's got to. It has to increase and decrease on things like what it's that it's trying to say something that it's trying to go somewhere that it's trying to change things for the characters. You know, these things have to increase and decrease. Mm. Otherwise, it would just be at the same level all the time. And for an episode that's pulled back on everything and just said, right, I'll just be a nice Doctor Who episode this week where we'll see something a little spooky, get an explanation, and some people who are fairly decent get saved, then this did the job, really, for me. It wasn't a great episode, but it wasn't a terrible episode. No. It was... And i got to say, watching it now for the fourth time... I didn't get bored. I didn't sort of start thinking about anything else. I sat there and for 45 minutes, I was quite taken with the episode. And at the end of it, I just thought, well, that was a nice way to spend 45 minutes and then forgot about it. And that's not a crime. But that's not a crime. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. (laughs) Because I think that is the worst accusation you can lay at this is that it doesn't really mean an awful lot. And it doesn't have to. You're just looking at me blankly. No, 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 not at all. Just thinking about 
All right. Are you, you going to say what you said to me? On... Anything. Go are you going to say what you said to me on Facebook then? Please? Give it a score then, and t- say what you said to Simon, and give it a score I th- before you remember the doctor's daughter. Yeah, I said I think this is the worst modern Doctor Who that I've I've seen since it's come back. Um, and then you reminded me of the Doctor's daughter, which is probably on par. I think there are loads of worst episodes than this. No, well, not for me. But see, my criteria is... It's really is... hard to watch to the end. I just felt like, well, I can't be bothered. Really? Yeah, and the, every time something clunky came out, I was like, oh, come on. Because also, this is quite, you know, it's an opportunity to display a particular era as well. I mean, we could have gone to the, the coast oh, no, it of wasn't. Cornwall. No, it wasn't. So we could have Smuggler's no, Part 2. Again, Lee, you're reviewing the story you wanted it <laughs> know, to be, not the thing that it was. I think it's the Star Wars fan thing, isn't it? It's what I wanted it to be. Um but no, I think it fails. I think it falls over quite a lot. There's some nice little elements to it, some nice bits. The opening sequence is great. I quite like the, I like the idea of the spaceship being interdimensional at the same point. The mermaid herself is a beautiful kind of design and interesting to look at. But that's about it, really. And there's a nice thing between the father and the son. But it, it, to me, it doesn't hang very well as a good story. And also, I, you know, there are moments of looking at um, looking at Matt Smith... He has he has a moment in Vampires of Venice when he turns around and, t- and says to the the girls in the room that he gives them some quip. He goes, "Oh, that that could have come out better," or uh, "That's going to work one day." He says something and, and then replies with that. And he's almost looking at the camera at us, and it's just delivered not that great. It's just a moment of him plainly not doing a very good. In Vampires of moment. Venice, yeah, yeah. And I just thought, "Oh, that's a bit that's a bit oddly weak." But you know, I mean, actually, that's... I think I disliked. Vampires of Venice more <laughs> I'm honest but there is that element of oh we watched that and reviewed it for this and yeah. we all really enjoyed it did we? Oh, okay. yeah Maybe I'm yeah. Mis- I think we all it. gave it like eight Okay, you must I be mean, thinking of the time before when you watched it. Well, maybe, or maybe you've watched it since but, and reappraised it again. But mm. Matt Smith's been firing on all cylinders, and I know you said don't we mustn't compare it to the first two opening episodes and the ones after. But he, when he's got something to get his teeth into, he is off on one. He's amazing to watch. And in this, I, I feel like he was all right. He was all right. Um, I don't know. I thought he was nice in this because he was the, playing a gentler words. version of the Doctor. And I really thought he and Avery had some really nice moments. Yes, yeah, but when, yeah, I know. It's the Doctor, isn't it? When he has a gun pointed at him, he makes a joke. But when you're in the middle of the ocean and there's some pirates there, you think, oh, I think we best go back to the TARDIS. We're going to get actually kill-hauled under the boat. Do we think to the sharks. Um, Hugh Bonneville was used to his full potential? Uh, not in this episode. Because no. he is a great actor. He was good in it, but yeah. again, I think he can only do what he can do with what he's given. Mm. He could have had more depth. Like I say, the scene with the kid, you know, there's a lot of emotions that could have been that could have come out. And we've seen it in other actors doing really good jobs. But you've got to not fall into the trap of saying, oh, they got Hugh Bonneville. They should have given him X, Y yeah. and Z to do. Mm. They wrote the part mm. and they asked yeah, yeah. him to do it. And he said, yes. So you can't yeah, well, complain about what's not in the script. The script was there before the actor was. OK, all right, fair enough. But, um, well... Maybe he didn't do an, an immense job that he that he maybe could have done. I don't know. I don't. Know. He seemed to flow through, like you say. It was it was polite, mm. you know, um, all the way through. <laughs> too, I thought he was polite. fine. Fine. Everything about this was fine. Yeah. <laughs> I tried my best. First ten minutes, great. And he was like, yeah. 
Simon, mm. your new score then, Lee. Four out of ten. Wow. <laughs> He's, well... That's sticking his heels in. Simon. That's fair. I'll give it a seven. Summing up. Uh, a nice, light episode. Don't look too deeply and you won't be disappointed. I think. <laughs> Don't look too deeply. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And that pretty much goes for me too. And yeah, seven. I think I think it does everything it does well enough. So it's dropped a point for you then, because you had to yes. give it an A, didn't you? Yes. What was it? What was the point dropper? The disappearing pirate, pirate. No, it wasn't anything particular that dropped a point. It's just that when I first watched it, I enjoyed it more, and subsequently I've been like, well, I enjoy it fine and well enough, but it, but it's more obvious now. There's less substance, hmm. so it drops a point for substance. Really, I mean, it's not a vacuous, empty episode, but it just it doesn't have a great ambition, and and I think it achieves its ambitions, but there's just not much there by the way of ambitions. Oh, just, sorry, just one other <laughs> just popped into my head. Explain to me, why doesn't he have a defibrillator on the on the TARDIS? It's, a, it's a, a futuristic spacecraft and Rory's sitting there and he's getting Amy to pump his chest. Firstly, why doesn't he do it? Secondly, surely you've got something on board the TARDIS. Well, he's a Time Lord. He's got yeah. two hearts. If he had a defibrillator for a Time Lord and he put it on Rory, he'd probably split him in half. I know. Well, Oh, well, maybe, but... But it's, it's interesting that they took Rory from the spaceship into the TARDIS. That was an extra few minutes of Rory dying, when you should really just do it there and then. That would have been more powerful doing it actually on the the, the table. This in was the in the thick of a series of Rory deaths, wasn't it, as well? That was another thing. Yeah, but I think this was playing on that, wasn't it? The Rory death thing. Wasn't that a bit of a Well, no, the Rory joke? death thing became... Thing well, it was oh, less no, an okay. issue this time because it was. I was watching it out. Well, of, hang on, let me say something else, and then we'll talk about the Rory deaths for a minute. I because that scene's on the TARDIS, and you don't actually see them um, taking him into the TARDIS. Do you hear that? I don't recall there being any dialogue we need to get him into the TARDIS either. Mm. I'm wondering if the first time they shot that, something went wrong and they had to do it again and they didn't have access to the set. Okay. That would make sense. Because I did think, looking at that, there's no reason given for them being on the TARDIS now. Mm. So I'm thinking they had to go back and redo that for one reason or another. Fair enough. Um, the Rory deaths. Right, let's do the Rory deaths to this point. In Amy's Choice, mm. in the alternative world, the alternative Rory pegs it. Mm. Because Amy needs to make the choice. So that's not a real Rory death because Rory hasn't died. No. In um, the second half of The Hungry Earth, which is cold blood, yeah. Rory actually dies. Yeah. But he gets taken through the crack. And then at the end Ouch. of that series, the Doctor reboots that universe, which brings him back. Mm. So that Rory that died in The Hungry Earth is not the Rory that we have thereafter. And the first death in Amy's Choice 
is there to foreshadow the actual death. Because the first death is a fake death that foreshadows the actual death. Mm. So when the Rory comes back in uh, the Big Bang at the end of the series, that's a new Rory, brand new Rory. It's an Auton Rory, isn't it? No, that's the Rory in Pandorica Opens. Yeah. He's mm. an Auton, but the Doctor reboots the universe, so then you get a real Rory. That's right. <laughs> so... After that... Is it in this episode where he starts talking about where you can sometimes remember being a Roman? Is that this? Yeah. Yeah. That's just a bit of... Uh, mm. That's just a bit of playfulness, really. Um, but he reboots... It's a bit of playfulness, but the Doctor reboots the universe from the things that the new universe will be able to remember about the old. So effectively, downloading the Auton Rory's memories into real Rory is something that you can explain away that way. So we've got one faked death, which foreshadows one real death. In The Impossible Astronaut, no, Day of the Moon, at the start of the second episode, they get the fake deaths, yeah. where yeah. you can't surely count one. You can't surely count one. Count that. There, no, surely. No, no, no. So by the time you get to this one, you get the scene. If you're going to do a scene where... They're all on the hospital tables. There's got to be somebody who needs resuscitating. And there's got to be a moment where it looks like it didn't work before it does, right? Because I was thinking about and this. Who else? Would, it, would it have been better if it was Amy? But then you can't do Amy because she's supposedly pregnant. So that complicates that issue. It could only be Rory. Mm. Rory's the only character you could have done that scene with in this episode. You, or you could have done a, one of the secondary characters, but then it wouldn't have mattered so much because we've only just met them, You wouldn't so care about it, no. yeah. Mm. And he doesn't actually die, of course. He gets to the point of death and gets brought back. And then the week after this, you've got the Doctor's Wife, which we'll be doing either next week or the week after, where the asteroid house feigns to Amy that Rory's died in order to scare her when they're in the TARDIS because he wants oh, yeah. the TARDIS key. So again, that's not an actual Rory death. So the only actual Rory death we've had <laughs> is in Cold Blood. Mm. All the others have either been fakes or it wasn't quite a death and they pulled him back before he got there. But equally, we've, we've seen them on screen though. Visually, we're seeing him peg it quite a few times. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Yeah. But actually, it, that's a bit like... It's that's not accidental, though. I mean, plainly, that's been put, they've all been put in there because it's a bit of a laugh. It's a bit no, funny, no, no. Stephen Moffat said he didn't realise that that's what was... That. Because, <laughs> because really they're not actual deaths. <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? This, this is the one where Rory pretends to get shot oh, because he needs to be in a body bag so mm. they can smuggle him into the thing. But this is the one where you need a character who's having heart-to-heart, mouth-to-mouth, and the only character it can be is Rory. This one is the one where we kill Rory in a fantasy scenario to foreshadow his real death. So that's not a real death. This is another one where we kill Rory in a fantasy scenario in The Doctor's Wife. They didn't realise they were doing it until that point. Because obviously the production is months ahead of the broadcast. So people are pointing this out on broadcast. Is when they notice it. Because each time they're doing it. To the people doing the stories. They're doing a different thing. Mm. It's only that it looks like they're doing the same thing. Over okay. and over again. <laughs> so the Rory's deaths. They are not like Kenny's deaths in South Park. <laughs> where Kenny actually gets killed and comes back. <laughs> Rory only actually gets killed once. You kill Rory you bastards. 
The other times, it's either in somebody's imagination or he's not quite dead. He just looks like he is. Or, you know, it's a deliberate fake out. He only actually dies once. So for all these multiple Rory deaths, there is actually one Rory death. <clears throat> but I mean, even if it was deliberate and they had been doing it deliberately, what, what, a, what a great thing to have a character... You know, what a great thing to give an actor to have his character be remembered by. And the guy who died every week in Doctor <laughs> Who and came back the next week. That would be a great thing for a, for an actor to to sort of put on his CV. Remember that guy in Doctor Who? Yeah, that was me. Because <laughs> yeah. that is something that people remember. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it now seven years later, right? There it is. All right, should we call it night then? Mm. It's a night. <laughs> All right, that's good enough for me. Right, next week, not sure. Might be Doctor's Wife. Might be the second half of what we did last week. Uh, might be something else entirely. We'll find out next week. Until then. I was Lee. I was Simon. And I was JR. And we'll speak again soon.